Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Pimco weighing in on the Fed's road ahead, writing in their secular outlook, quote, we don't expect developed market central banks to formally change their targets, but do expect those targeting 2% to be willing to tolerate 2 point something inflation as part of what Pimco is calling an opportunistic disinflation strategy. I'm pleased to say that joining us now is the Pimco Global Economic Advisor, former Fed Vice Chair, good friend of ours. Richard Clarida. Good morning, Rich. <clears throat> Great to be here, and hey, thanks for coming out. Good <laughs> to see you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Let's start with that. What on earth is opportunistic disinflation strategy? What is that? Well, in some ways, John, it's back to the future. A lot of folks think of the early Greenspan years in the U.S. as opportunistic disinflation, raise rates to get inflation close to target, uh, and then basically wait for the next downturn to get it all the way to uh, target. And we actually think it's implicit, if you look at the Fed's SEP projections, they don't have inflation getting down to to 2% for several more years, and yet they have themselves even cutting rates next year. So we think implicitly, not only the Fed, but other central banks will go down that road. So when Chairman Powell last year talked about pain, Rich, yeah. do we not need that much pain then? Do we just push out the timeline? Well, I think there will have to be an adjustment in the labor market even to get to two point something. You see, the challenge now, uh, John, is inflation is running at four point something. So mm. I think that pain in the labor market that Chair Powell referred to at Jackson Hole is going to be part of it to get inflation down to two point something. But the next leg may have to wait till the next downturn. Well, let's talk about the next downturn. Yeah. Where on earth is it? We've been talking about this for ages now. <laughs> when Chairman Powell delivered that speech last year, even when you were at the Fed, I was thinking unemployment here, how's it going to handle? this tightening cycle. Yeah. We're going from zero to five and unemployment's still around three and a half. Yeah. We had Dan sit in your seat a little bit earlier and talk about the longer variable lags. He said potentially they're longer. Is that how you and the team are thinking about it now? Well, yes. Remember, we, we actually had a sharp slowdown in growth last year. GDP growth downshifted from six to one, and it will probably be in the ones or even lower this year. So we've had the downshift in growth. Yes, John, the surprise is the U.S. labor market is very uh, uh, resilient. Typically, that slowdown in growth, you would see much more of a rise in unemployment. Our view continues to be that um, the lags will uh, uh, kick in. Uh, labor market is typically a lagging indicator. But yes, it has been a surprise how resilient the labor market it's been. The Federal Reserve is talking about a skip, not a pause. <laughs> How much effort goes into a shift in language like that oh to my. not use the word pause and for everyone to coalesce around skip? Well, uh, a, a lot of effort, a lot of discussion among members of the so-called Troika, the chair, John Williams, and now uh, Phil uh, Jefferson. Uh, and then, of course, it's socialized in the broader uh, committee. But su suffice to say, there's a lot of wordsmithing that goes on behind the scenes. The potential future, almost called him the future vice chair, yeah. but he is potentially yeah. going to be that. Governor Jefferson, talk to me about how pivotal 
that address from him was last week? How important was that? It, it, was, it was important. First of all, it was an excellent uh, a speech, uh, and really in Phil's voice. I've known Phil for, for 30 years. We were colleagues at Columbia. Uh, but it did something very important, which is that the chair had p tried to put his stamp on communication at, a, at an event at the Fed two, two or three weeks ago. And then, as is often the case, there's a lot of chatter from different Reserve Bank presidents and governors. And so uh, market pricing was really all over the map. Do they cut? Do they hike? Hike three times? Cut three times? And so uh, Governor Jefferson came out and gave a very focused speech illustrating that a skip, if the committee chooses to skip, will not indicate that they're done. But they, they do need to respect the lags and the additional tightening we're likely to get from banking dislocation. So it, in essence, reinforced the message that the chair had delivered weeks before. And I think that served a very useful purpose because it shows that that's what the chair is thinking going into the next meeting. Do you think this is it, the peak of interest rates of the Fed? Is that the view for you and the team? Well, uh, is it the peak? Uh, I think that uh, the data has been coming in a bit stronger. Um, and if anything, even some of the more dovish members of the committee have sounded a bit hawkish. So, so we could get an additional hike or two uh, in this uh, cycle. I think it's a closer call than I would have thought several months ago. I will say I still think that the reasoning that the chair put forward, which is that we've had this dislocation in banking, two of the biggest bank failures in U.S. history. Uh, you know, right now, markets have sort of moved on to the next thing, but some of those challenges uh, remain. And so I think that's going to come back into the discussion at some point as well. There were some thoughts about rate cuts. We priced them in. Yeah. We priced them out. Just how high is the bar for rate cuts? John, I think the bar for rate cuts the rest of this calendar year is, is very high, uh, not only on economic grounds, but the communication has been very consistent from the yeah. most dovish to the most hawkish member. Every member of that committee has said, look, we're not going to do the heavy lifting to get rates in restrictive territory and then start to cut them. So I think the bar to cutting this year is, is very high. Uh, because remember, the Fed has penciled into its projections a pretty sharp slowdown of the labor market. They have the unemployment rate going up to 4.5% by the end of the year without any cuts. So I do think if there are cuts, it's really a 2024 story. But yeah, I think the bar's high. Let's pair this conversation yeah. with the second outlook. Yeah. What are they going back to if they do begin to cut? There's been a big conversation yeah. about that. We're not going back to zero. I think we've both heard that conversation yeah. a million times. What would we go back to? Well, we did a lot of discussion and thinking on this. And of course, in 2014, we rolled out at our forum the new neutral idea, which was that the Fed funds range would end up neutral somewhere in 2 to 3%. And this year, we reaffirmed that view. So we do think most of the factors that kept policy rates, again, these are the policy rates when you're at full employment and, and low inflation. Um, we think there's more upside risk to the inflation outlook than the real rate uh, outlook. And so our baseline view is that Jay Powell and Christine Lagarde and Andrew Bailey and the central bankers will do more or less what it takes to keep inflation expectations anchored. Um, but um, uh, but there, if there is a risk to the inflation outlook, it's somewhat to the upside. So we do think that once the inflation rate has come down close to where the Fed wants it, once the economy's adjusted, we think, and apparently they still think through the dots, rates are getting down into the twos. You share that view? I do share that view. I think what could be different this time, you know, the, the saying this time is different. I think what could be different this time is we may have policy rates in the twos, but we may, we may have higher bond yields. The, 
Treasury issued a lot of debt to support the fiscal policy during the pandemic. We now have a debt to GDP ratio back to where it was in World War II, 100% of GDP. It wasn't that long ago that folks like Ken Rogoff and others were saying once you get above 100, it fundamentally uh, changes your um, economy. So we do think that the Fed will probably be doing less QE in the future, what we've called QE fatigue. And we think there's a limit to how much Treasury debt investors will hold without getting compensated. So we could see a world of steeper yield curves. Right now they're inverted, but they could re-steepen. Okay, so basically the Federal Reserve is at two, and you're thinking about what further out, further out the yield curve? Ten-year Treasury ultimately somewhere in the threes, um, depending upon how we get how we get to two, and also how credible the Fed is on in, on, on inflation. They're coming out with a ton of T-bill issuance at the Treasury, yeah. hundreds of billions. Yeah. Now, if you're a bear, you're bearish about it, and if you're a bull, you don't really care. <laughs> Give us the reality check. What do you think that ultimately means? Hundreds of billions of dollars of T-bills coming into the market all at once. How does that spill over? Well, it, it's interesting, John, because a lot of the discussion until recently has been there's been a shortage of, 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 of T-bills. The, the Treasury's doing this, of course, because we got the debt ceiling bill finally passed, and they want to repl replenish you know, their checking account at the Fed, what's called the Treasury General Account. So they'll do that by issuing T-bills. We'll put some upward pressure on, on front-end rates. Not really an issue for the Fed in terms of maintaining its policy rate, but a potential issue for the liquidity of the banking system. Because when the, when the Treasury issues T-bills to private investors, if uh, private investors are not money market funds, those reserves drain the system. It could tighten liquidity in the banking system. If they come from money market funds, which are investing now at the Fed, it may not. So I think there's more than the usual amount of uncertainty about how bank liquidity evolves over the next six months with these T-bill solves. Do you think that's another reason to skip June, to wait? I do not think that's another reason to skip June. I think that um, I think if they skip June, which it looks like they will, it will be basically based on the you know the macro and inflation discussion now. I want to finish on inflation? Yeah. Just a final question. Yeah. In this piece, two point something. That's your world. I can hear yeah. your language in there. If we set a new inflation target today, not that they're going to, yeah. you push yeah. back against that. But yeah. if we did, would it still be two percent? Well, the way I like to put it is that if you rewind the tape to 30 years ago and central banks had sort of agreed on three, I think I don't think anything would be different now. But there is what people call path dependence in policy. And having committed to doing two, I think it would be very costly. And I think they'll shy away from formally changing the target. Interesting. Yeah. Rich, good to see you. Great to catch up. Thank as you, always. Fantastic. Richard Clarida there, the former Fed vice chair. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.